Welcome back to the Code of Man. We've got some grinning guys in the uh, studio today. Can't wait to tell you about it right after this. Christ lives in the heart of a champion. I already just feel so much better with that opening introduction. I feel like all of a sudden I'm on target, right on cue, just kind of brainwaves are Popping, it's happening, man. What more could you ask for? Especially on a bright and early chipper morning like this. Yeah, bright and early. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the voice of none other than Napoleon. You're welcome, Roland folks. Napoleon. Daddy's back. He has returned. Yep. Listenership will skyrocket. Skyrocket. Back by popular demand. Inquiring minds want to know, how did you enjoy our uh, last episode that you weren't a part of? You know, it was very enjoyable. I enjoyed Alan. I thought Alan did a good job. Uh, he was a good interview. He was great, yeah. I was curious as to the state of the American soul right now and how much anger factors into our society. I, I don't think any of us have to speculate or guess that anger is a big thing right now, but I began to wonder about why or what, what's, what's underneath all the anger in our, in our culture. And I actually thought about entitling this episode because you know we've talked about discussing anger. Why is our culture so full of anger right now? Too many opinions. I mean, it's literally an every man does that which is right in his own eyes type thing. And who are you to stand against me? I am the bastion of of truth and right and the correct way of living. And, well, people get a little bit passionate about that, and it trickles over into anger. And it's every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Why? Because there is no king in the land. And when we, we consider that, we have to look at the political turmoil in our land, but we don't have to go into politics. Let's just look at the day-to-day average attitude of people on the job, people in the church. No one wants any authority in their life other than what they want to do and what makes them feel right. I mean, there's And there's really no other way to describe the current culture and landscape. I mean, that's... That's basically it in a nutshell. Nobody wants to have any kind of governing principles unless they're the governing principles that they like, in which case then you better not alter them and change them or there's going to be problems. You were going to say something. No, I was swatting this. <laughs> it was self-defense. Yeah. We're, we're talking about the outside, the world, society as a whole, the United States of Angry Americans. But what about us? I mean, is there is there actually a place, a time that being angry is okay? That, that's a good question to ask. The Apostle Paul, for example, says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be ye angry and sin not, which would lead us to conclude that there is such a thing as an anger that is not sinful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what would be important to draw down on today. Is there a way to be angry 
and not be sinful about it because I think most of the anger in our culture that we're seeing, the fruit that's coming out of all that is an unrighteous anger. And so a couple of questions that I would throw out there. Number one, let's define what is anger because everybody's going to deal with it, even whether it's in their own heart or whether it's in the people that they're around. And then, again, why is our society so angry? We've been talking about that. And what's the difference between a good anger or a healthy anger and an unhealthy anger? Or we could use the terminology unrighteous anger and righteous anger. What are the difference between those two things? When, when is it an okay time to be angry? But not only that, how long should you stay angry? What, what's your end game? What's the, what's the end game of anger is, is a good question to ask yourself. I was looking at this article um, entitled, Why Are Anger and Social Violence Increasing in America? And this was published on a, a website called resilience.org. And it's got a lot of the information from, from psychologists. But in this article, it identifies three important aspects of humanity's collective primitive ego consciousness, which is present And, of course, they're talking about in Washington politics today, which that is one of the areas that we we just acknowledge. That's an area people are getting angry about all the time. Everybody's angry. Everybody's fussing. Everybody's complaining. Everybody's scrapping over it. But they said in this article that the the three important aspects that are creating this increase in anger and social violence today include the what's-in-it-for-me idea, which is greed, the need to be right, and the serious lack of self-awareness. So what's in it for me, the need to be right, the serious lack of self-awareness. Where do you see that in, in your life today? Where are you encountering that as you go about your day-to-day? Everywhere. I mean, you see that even, even, in, your, even in your families. I mean, everybody, that, that's, it's almost like it's a, it's a built-in human it's a built-in fallen human disposition. Like, I think every single person that, if we're honest with ourselves, can say, "Man, I've I've got those three character quality. Maybe character quality is not the right term, but I've got those three things that are flaws. Yeah, I've weaknesses. Got, I've got those three flaws that manifest to some degree in me at any given point in time, and I need the help of the Lord to combat that and to and to resist that. But if you're looking for it, you can see it in the person that." walks in front of you at the grocery store, you've got a gallon of milk in your hand and a box of cereal, and right before you step up to the counter, somebody with two buggies full of groceries cuts in front of you because, you know, and what's in it for, I got to hurry up and I got to go, and you're like, seriously? You're, you know, and there, there's that spirit that, that works everywhere, and it's not just, it is a pervasive mentality throughout our entire culture. And so what's the reaction to that? What's the typical person do when someone cuts them off at the grocery line or in traffic? Yeah, they get, they angry, get angry too. too yeah. I think a lot of times that's where you see the different personality types. Some people will snap right there. Hey, lady, you see me standing here? Line's back air. You know, you'll see some people that'll just kind of seethe and brood and, you know, their whole countenance and disposition will just change. And now they're ruined for the next two hours because they're still just fuming over the rudeness, uh, a lot of times <laughs> you'll see it, well, if they cut me off, I'm going to cut this person off, or I'm going to hurry up and try to speed down the road to get in front of them to cut in front of them, and it just, it just perpetuates. I think there's also a uh, like a passive-aggressive reaction to it. You know, you have the one person who's extremely aggressive, and then you have some folks that just let it go, 
And then you have those folks that they're not gonna they're not gonna show their anger that way, but they're going to be snarky or like you just said, jump in their car and speed alongside the person and cut them off, something like that. Or they're gonna jump on their phone. Yep. Get on Facebook and let everyone know, hey. Yes. The social media outlets are the places for people to dispense out their vitriol. Yeah. That's that's where a lot of this is going. And and people are reading and eating that stuff up like candy. And that's a good one to bring up because I think a lot of times that one doesn't get lumped in right off the bat with, you know, the immediate visible responses that I think that Dean and I were describing where it's like, okay, yeah, that's anger. But I think what you're what you're bringing up, it's easy to get kind of classified as, well, I'm just using my Facebook page or my Twitter feed or my Instagram to express my emotions and just, you know. And here's the newsflash, guy. We don't care. Yeah. We don't care about your opinion, your thoughts, your ideas. Well, then unfriend me. Is that too me. harsh? Well, y- Exactly. Well, that's the mentality is, if, hey, if you don't agree with me, I'm just going to argue with you here. And after we argue, I'm either going to block you or I'm going to unfollow <laughs> but remain friends. Or that's just Take that. Yeah. <laughs> Into yeah. your face, silly penguins. That's right. So part of the problem here, or, or one of the causes, I guess maybe deep root causes, is of the feeling that we have been, our rights have been threatened or violated the United States, our country, our, our great country with rights and freedoms, which we're thankful for, has at the same time produced a culture in which everybody is standing very hard on their personal rights. Don't violate my rights. And we've taken it way to an extreme. The psychologist will tell, tell us that in studying children and looking at what we call the ego, that when we are growing up and developing, and it goes into adulthood, but especially for children, the things that they're most concerned about when they're young, they want to feel that they are loved, they want to feel that they are seen, that they are being heard. We have this innate desire to feel like we are important, but perhaps one of the biggest of all that creates reaction and, and attitude in our life, even when we're little, is this desire to feel safe. So when, when something threatens that, any of those things, but especially when we feel that our safety is threatened, and that's not just physical safety, but that's emotional safety, someone cutting in the line, the safety of my, my schedule today, someone just has hindered my schedule, someone has said something about me that has hindered my emotional safety or affected me there, the tendency is to then lash out. So you think about a little baby, a little child, when they... When that anger rises in them, usually it's because someone took their toy, someone's not paying attention to them, someone didn't give them what they wanted, and, and, and anger is the what they show. And now we just have the tendency in our culture, we've sort of created an environment where it's okay to act like a bunch of children. Yeah, because there's no consequence. Exactly, no consequence. And don't dare threaten me with consequence because I have a right to do this. Yep. Here, here's the question then. People will say all the time, You'll hear this. You've heard this. Well, Jesus never got angry. Jesus didn't get angry. Now, if we have an example of how we're supposed to be and conduct ourselves as men and as Christian men, well, Jesus is our example. So I posed the question to you the other day when we were just kind of offline on what made Jesus angry. He certainly got angry. 
And I think it would be uh, a helpful study to consider the things that made Jesus angry. When I worked at Subway, there was a hurricane in Florida or something, and we had a shortage on tomatoes. I was like a 17-year-old kid, and just the reactions of grown adults because they had to pay extra for their tomatoes was, uh, I mean, stuff like that, it's, um, it's pretty, pretty, pretty sad. You're gonna charge me for what was free oh, a week ago? And anger, anger's a good, uh, it's a good emotion. You know, it goes back to the, it goes back to the greed and the pride. Who are you, who are you to tell me what I can and can't eat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's always uh, something I've always said. If you ever want to figure out what kind of person somebody is, just go out to eat with them. I mean, they'll let you know very quickly. I mean, they get very upset pretty quick. And it can get pretty awkward when you're like. Wow. Yes. I don't want to be at this table right now. This this didn't go over too well, did it? We're not talking about lost people that are, you know, they're subject to the the dark spirits of evil. Even safe people. I know there's been times in my life where, again, I'm not necessarily getting in the face of, you know, like, come at me, bro, type mentality. But that even, like, in my home, I'll just be aggravate everything just gets on my nerves and there's just this this spirit of i'm just i'm mad and then there'll be a little while later that i'll stop and i'll think about this is ridiculous like i've just been upset and mad over dumb stuff this is not me right but that awareness that even as believers we can be influenced and oppressed by these spirits that that lead and and Put these thoughts and and kind of open the door to give into that flesh and uh, you're right not definitely not Holy Spirit filled at that point in time because we're not combating against it but it's something that everybody can be drawn to and combat not just the quote unquote lost drug addicts you know people out there in the world and, and it's obvious that this is an issue that that as believers we are to be aware of the reality of it and we are to understand that we have to resist it like we have to resist any temptation of any wrong spirit or attitude. Paul does say, again, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath in, uh, in Ephesians 4.26. And so he's clearly stating there that we have a responsibility when anger comes, evaluation is important. Yeah. Anger should, you know, just like any emotion – we are to respond to emotion, not react mm-hmm. in emotion. Yeah. So when we feel an emotion, if it's anger, we're, that's the topic, what we should do then is step back and say, why am I feeling this anger? Why am I so emotional? Right. There's a reason for it. You know, but evaluating that is important because we may come to terms with, oh, okay, I'm angry because I feel like my rights have been violated. I feel like my safety has been threatened. Well, then all that's kind of self-centered. But if the anger is coming from a place of, now, wait a minute, no, someone's about to be hurt by this. Yeah. Someone's about to lose because this is going on. Well, okay, that might be a just anger. Now, what I've done, I've evaluated that emotion and I'm able now to respond with the, in the right way. you Because know, here's the difference. What I wanted to say, there, the wrong kind, Ephesians 4, 31, a few verses later, Paul says, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And so he groups anger there into an entirely different category. There's an anger that is righteous, and there's an anger that is unrighteous. And I think when we, when we can get down to the, 
why am I feeling it? The evaluation of the emotion is very important. Is this a seething, rage, selfish, self-righteous kind of thing, or is this uh, an anger which is centered around what is right or or the defense of truth or the, the defense of someone who is being uh, threatened? And I think we learn a lot about the right kind of anger from looking at the life of Jesus, and I know we were getting ready to, to circle back to that, but, but even— and I know you got to be careful going into the Old Testament with with the anger that God displays, because we're not God. We're not we're not a pure, perfect, righteous, and holy judge. But even if you look at the things that God was angry at in the Old Testament, it was it was a lot of the the same things. It was the the wickedness of mankind, the, just the the total depravity of of man given to their their wicked devices. You know. There's the verse in Psalms, God is angry with the wicked every day. Wickedness and sin is always angered God. But we see the other side of that through the life of Jesus. The anger of, I'm angry at sin, but I want to rescue and redeem the sinner, the man. I want to provide a way for him out of that anger. I'm going to judge anger, and I'm going to judge sin, and I'm going to judge all of the wrong and the wickedness, but I want to be able to to deliver man out of it, and and that's I think a good guiding principle for us. It's again why Paul talks in Ephesians: we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The things that make me angry: am I angry at that person, that physical human being, and do I want to lash out and attack them, or am I angry at something that they're doing, that they're standing for, that's going to bring bring harm to others, and I now want to combat that spirit or that falsehood or that ideology in a way to try to deliver other people from what it is that they're propagating. Yeah. The right kind of anger always moves us to righteousness yes. and, and doing the right things. Yeah, and another thing, I think that, uh, well, the wrong kind of anger, it, it shows, I think pride, uh, of the three things, I think Pride is in all of those. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's greed and it's a lack of self-awareness, but I think pride's the root of all of it is what I'm trying to say. And especially when, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where if it's with yourself, if it's with somebody else, or maybe it's it's been both, but the question's being asked, what are we even angry at at this point? Like you think you're arguing about something, but then, like, five minutes into the conversation, you're like, nope, nope, deep down I'm mad at something else. Mm-hmm. Or this person standing in front of me screaming about a chicken biscuit isn't mad about these chicken biscuits. There's something else going on there. I think a lot of that is just is pride. It's just, you know, who do you, who do you think you are talking to me like that? Like that I think that's the kind of the root of all this to trace it back to. Those innate qualities of human nature— where we want to be accepted, we want to be loved, we want to be appreciated, we want to feel safe, all those things, right. if they feel threatened and we feel like someone's going to take that from us, then the, the natural tendency is to rise up in anger. I mean, you just think about how many wars have been have been engaged in over that very principle that goes on between you know just two, two individuals, but it can go on between two nations because somebody had that feeling and that thought. Well, so let's go to Jesus then. Let's talk about the causes of, of what made Jesus angry. And when people say, well, you know, Jesus never got angry, I, I think what, what where that comes from 
is that they're thinking of anger only in terms of the kind we've been describing. Right. They're wrath. thinking of wrath and unrighteous anger. Rage. And, you know, Jesus never lost control of himself. He never, you know, well, let's examine that a little bit. So I, I had given you guys four examples of when Jesus get got angry, and I think they give us some sort of guiding principles on what kind of things are uh, justify anger and, and what our responses should be when we get angry. So everybody's angry these days. It seems like everywhere we look, but we know most of it is not righteous anger. So what made Jesus angry? And I want to start in John chapter 11 because I was reading this the other day and was really struck by this. I've seen it before, but it just brought all this back to me. In John chapter 11, when Lazarus has died and Jesus comes to where he's buried and Martha comes out and talks to Jesus, her statement was, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. And I think we kind of get this collective thought that within Martha's statement, there's a little bit of a, like, why didn't you come? Where were you at? And Jesus responds to her, and he tries to alleviate that by reminding her that he is the resurrection and so forth. Well, then Mary comes, and I want to pick up the reading in verse 34, and or and let me say verse 32. And Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping. Now, I think the difference between Mary and Martha, Martha kind of comes with this, Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have prevented this. Now, she's expressing faith, but she's also expressing frustration. When Mary comes, Mary says, Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have prevented this, but it, it comes across as expressing this deep sorrow, this grief that she's feeling, not accusation or blame. And so when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, it says he groaned in, his, in the spirit and was troubled. Now, if you look at that statement, he groaned in the spirit. In the original Greek language, the word that's used there is, the way it's described is to snort with anger. Now, you two being city boys, I'm going to express that to you in a way you'll be able to understand. You gonna explain it to us? What are you talking about city boys? <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll cut that part out. So the image there, when I was a, when I was a boy growing up, whether uh, most of the time it would be at, at my grandparents' house, but I observed this many times. If you see an old bull in, in the pasture and you see him begin to kind of paw the ground and sort of blow and shake his head a little bit, that kind of... <laughs> You know one thing about that. Get out of his way because he, he is happy. not happy. <laughs> Something's about to happen. That's the snort of anger. And that's what that phrase means there, that Jesus groaned in the spirit, that in his spirit, not in his flesh, by the way, but in his spirit, there was an anger. And I began to ask this question, what made Jesus angry at that moment? And that's kind of what sparked my thought about looking at all the things that made Jesus angry. But here he stands at the grave of Lazarus, or almost at the grave, because he says, you know, his next thing he does is, where have you laid him? So his, <coughs> his, his calculated response to this anger is, like you were saying, in the Old Testament we see God do what? We see God, when he is angry, do something to change the situation. And, and Jesus says, where have you laid him? So from his anger he responds with, I'm here to fix this. But what, what are your thoughts? I mean, how do we interpret this? Jesus is angry when he sees Mary weeping and the other Jews weeping with her. I've, I've always interpreted it as this was Jesus expressing his anger at, 
you know, the damages of sin. This this was never intended to happen. This was never in the plan for people to have to go through this, for this level of grief, for this level of sorrow and separation. This was never the way it was supposed to be. And, you know, Jesus was, was angry and was upset that sin has now caused this unnecessary sorrow and grief in the life of man and that now he was going to show I'm the solution for this sorrow. I'm, I'm here to fix what sin has broken. That's that's how I had always kind of read what was transpiring here. Yeah, maybe angry that for their lack of belief, just, um, you know, Martha confesses right before that, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Well, he's here right now. I mean, he's standing right there. Do you think death is stronger than him? Is that what you're trying to, you know, maybe it's the lack of belief that, that got him like that. So either way, either way, either of those things could and may be true, yeah. but what we see in Jesus is there. it's a righteous anger, and his response is, I'm going to do what it takes to help this situation, to mm-hmm. fix this situation. And he says, so shows, where, where have you laid him? And then here's the next thing. Verse 35 then says Jesus wept. So what does that tell us about his anger? He's angry, but he's weeping. So, so this isn't seething rage, yeah. set the record straight, kill them all, and let God sort them out. Yeah, it's not and a it's, rage. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I was saying it's not even like a snap reaction anger. Like It's not like Jesus just snapped and got ticked off, so to speak. Like It's, it is a, it's a deeply moving... At his core, something yes. is moving him deeply. So it, well, it's, it, I was just gonna say it, it shows that he that he had a care for the people around him. A lot of times, when you have that that unrighteous anger, you can care less about the people. It's around It's all you. about you, correct? Self centered, right? Right. And and so it, it wasn't self centered, and to the point Et just made, it wasn't shallow because mm-hmm. it was coming from that deep place. So all this discussion right now is to help us and the listener understand when is my anger right. And if my anger's right, how do I know it's right? Well, we'll know it's right because of what it stirs inside of us, where the emphasis and focus is. If it's about defending me and and uh, you know and how it, this makes me look, or if it's about the others taking care of others, and and then the, the calculated response versus the emotional reaction. Okay, Jesus comes to the the. Verse 36, when they see him weeping, it says, Behold, he loved him. Behold how he loved him. And then verse 37, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus hears this, which is again is an accusation. Yeah. But in verse 38, the very next thing says, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. So another way of saying that is Jesus is still angry. They, whatever, however long it took to walk from where he's talking to Mary to the actual gravesite, he is still angry. The anger's still there. So it wasn't a flash-in-the-pan kind of anger. This is something that is, again, it's not shallow. It's not self-centered. It has to do with what's going on around him, and there is within him a, a desire to make it right. He's going to fix their struggle with faith, and he's going to reverse the damage done by the enemy against their heart. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's say you have this is a great example of when you have someone who gets angry and the people that are around who aren't a part of it. Unfortunately, 
a lot of them are guilty of the same sin of pride as the people who are getting angry. Because you don't see what Jesus just showed where, okay, yeah, this makes me angry because of the way the way folks are acting, but here's what I'm going to do to correct it. It's a righteous anger. You see this reaction of, I don't know what their problem is, but I'm doing okay over here, and me and me and Corey, we're just over here watching this whole thing, and now it's a tribe mentality. Mm-hmm. Now it's a, oh, let's all sit around and pat ourselves on the back because we're not the ones getting angry. When in reality, what the man does, what the spiritual man is supposed to do in that situation is either A, know when to walk away, or B, hey, I need to step in and, and fix this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm watching my you know family members or whoever get really upset and angry and it's impacting those around me so in which cause makes me angry Uh, there's a righteous anger and hey here's what we need to do we need to take 10 minutes or whatever and and step in and do something about it so here's what we've established with this first instance is that jesus was angered by the damage being done by the enemy against the heart of the people that he loved and even the allowance that it could have been that Jesus was angered by the fact that they were not believing. And and that's okay. You know, because, how, well, is it fair for Jesus to be angry because they couldn't believe that he could raise the dead? Well, I will just say, if Jesus gets angry, it's got to be okay because he was without sin. But I think the, the way we explain that is, again, look at what he does. What is the fruit of the anger? The fruit of the emotion always is the telltale sign. Because here's the reality. If you and I are angry at each other, or all three of us are angry at each other, we're each going to believe that we're taking the right stand. Okay. So when the dust settles and the smoke begins to clear, what's the fruit of the stand we t- took? A fruit a stand. Fruit stand. Ah, as a pun. Write that down, would you? <laughs> Don't need to. But um. Okay, well, moving right along, I think we've made that point. I want to go to a second instance when Jesus got angry. These are not in any particular order, but Mark chapter 9 and verse 19. Uh, we got to do this quickly. I know time's running out. We'll just work through these. So Mark chapter 9 and verse uh, 19, let me, let me bring it down to this. The story here is that the, the, the man has asked the disciples if they will, the father has brought his son to the disciples and asked them if they could deliver him from this, uh, this dumb spirit is what the, the king's English says in, in Mark 9, 17. And, and so he describes this when they bring him. The disciples couldn't help him, and, and they bring him to Jesus, and uh, he says this is a spirit that, that tears him. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes with his teeth. This is a guy that's in a lot of rage. He sounds like the yeah. guy we saw yesterday. Anyway, the disciples couldn't do anything about it, and they bring him to Jesus. Now, this will take us back, Napoleon, to the point you made as a possible reason for anger in John 11. But in, in Mark 19, here's what Jesus says. He answers him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Now, I got to be honest with you. That's one of the most interesting and troubling verses and statements of Jesus you'll read in the Gospels. Yeah. Because essentially what happens is here comes a father that says, your disciples couldn't help me. My son's in a in terrible condition. Can you do anything? And Jesus says, really? How long am I got to put up with you outfit? Yeah. Okay, bring him over here. Yeah. Now, am I, am I misreading this? No. 
I've had the exact same thought, and I put myself in that man's shoes, and part of me would be like, no, no, really, it's okay. I'll just, I'll just yeah. take, I'll take my boy home. He'll be all right. I don't, we'll lock him in a room. I, I think I, <laughs> clearly, this is not a good time. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Lord. Get, the, get those fetters and chains back out. And to, to be fair, we don't, we don't know exactly how Jesus said it. But yeah. we know what he said, and it's pretty obvious that he's expressing some frustration here. Yeah. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer or put up with you? But the key thing is, the next statement is, bring him to me. So we keep coming back to this thing of righteous anger will always result in doing something to try to fix the situation, yeah. not to make things worse. So, I mean, number one, let's just admit, there are times where we're going to get frustrated with people, and it's okay. Right. Is it possible that Jesus is, is frustrated not at the man and his son, but that his anger and frustration is directed at the disciples that could not do what Jesus was like. How are you guys not got this yet? I've been with you so long. I've given you the, the key and the solution so many times. How many times am I going to have to keep yes. carrying you through this? And so it's not the anger at the man who's brokenhearted with his son that's in dire straits, but more at like Jesus as the teacher that has said, I've, I've taught you this. Mm-hmm. I've already, yeah. already given you the answer to this. And the person reading too, because it's like, you know, we have faith our faith is because what we read in the Word of God, but we we there's no, I mean, we haven't seen Christ in person. So it's like we're sitting here reading it, and he's like, you faithless generation, you're just like, thank you. Like, you know, <laughs> they, they literally walked beside you all this time, and they still, you know, have an issue. So maybe that's it. Well, I, the, the way that I wrote down my thought to that is that what he was angry with here just my, my interpretation of this or application is he was angry about people who who knew better but acted like they didn't. Right. You know, like, we just don't know what to do with this. Well, to your point, you should know what to do with this. It, it goes back to Mark chapter, is it four or five, whatever, they're on the boat. Remember, crossing mm-hmm. over the Sea of Galilee. So yeah. this is Mark 9. They've been here before. Where Jesus looks at them and they're in the storm and they're panicking and of course this is early on and they're Lord don't you care that we're about to die in this storm and as I've said before these are men who they spent a lot of time on the sea they knew this was a bad storm and yet Jesus is asleep he's sleeping on the boat and I love I think it's Mark that says that he was asleep on a pillow and yeah. he's very comfortable it's like don't wake me up. Well, why? Why? How could Jesus do that? Because he wasn't worried about it. It was he. He had faith that the Father's will was going to be done. And so the question to them that day was, "Why are you so faithless? Yeah. Where is your faith?" You know. And so here we are, some time later down the road, and he's like, "How long am I going to have to put up with this?" Right. You know? yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem that's not the Jesus of your Sunday school class. No, you no. know, that's that's not the calm, placid. But I tell you, it is the Jesus. Mullet Jesus. It, right. it is the Jesus, though, that that makes me better understand some of my my own father's frustration with me growing up. When I was like, man, why, 
you know, because I can't tell you how many times I, I would hear my dad make a statement that's long lines of, boy, I've done told you this. I don't know how many upteen times. When is it going to get through your head? And I thought, well, man, why why is dad so upset about that? Well, he was just being more Christ-like than I gave him credit for at the time because that's the same kind of attitude that, and, you know, maybe not quite the exact same way, but that's that's what it was. I've already taught you this, and I've told you this, and I've equipped you with this. Man, let's get it together, guys. Yeah. So there's that. There's another instance that we want to look at in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Let's look at this time where Jesus gets angry. This one is not uncommon, and uh, there's a whole lot I could read here. Um, let's just... Uh, Ooh, ah, wow. Um, you've got a lot of woes here and a lot of name-calling. <laughs> Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Should I go on? Clearly, Jesus is not happy. With who? The scribes and Pharisees. So what are we seeing here? What's the what's the anger? What is the reason for Jesus' righteous anger here? Religion masquerading as followers of God that are they're not following God. They're just following man and man's whims, man's desires. But they're doing it in the quote unquote name of God. Mm-hmm. Hypocrisy. Yes, a lot of hypocrisy here. You know what's one of the frustrating things that. Uh, something I've thought through a lot in recent days. One of the hardest things to deal with is when you're standing in the place where you, you, you believe in all, with all your heart that you're standing where God wants you to stand, but you're in a conflict with someone who will say the same thing where they're standing. Oh, yep. yeah. and, and this is exactly what is happening here right. because these Pharisees would get in Jesus' face and say, who do you think you are? Yep. We've been doing this. You, you, you're just, you're just a little pup. Where did you? You don't know nothing. We've been doing this forever. Our fathers gave, you know. And so they're, they're adamant that they are right. Well, Jesus is adamant that he's right. Now we know that Jesus was right, but how, how does that get discerned and deciphered? And, and I think it comes back to a point that we're, we're, we're making again and again in this episode. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of where where they are taking their stands, what's the result of that? Yeah. And, and with Jesus, you see a certain result from his stance, and with the Pharisees, you see a result of their stance. That's all you can go on. There was something you said that, that made me think. You could, almost, you could almost read this in such a way as like those like old schoolyard arguments. Well, my daddy could beat up your daddy. Well, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. And that's that's sort of in some ways what was going on here because the scribes and Pharisees kept throwing up, you know, our fathers did this. We Abraham is our father, and Jesus says, well, that's fine, but my father, who is the God of your father, and and it's not it's not that simple and and 
and simplistic, but but there is a lot of that where you see the anger of, well, look, this is this is my tradition, this is us, and then the anger of, no, but this is the way that it actually should be, and you all are doing this against God, you're doing this against the Father, and you're leading other people astray from the true path as well. The Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, a lot of this just shows that Jesus' righteous anger just shows his purpose. It's all, righteous anger is going to have a purpose. So, so, and I'll let you continue, but just highlighting the motive matters. Yeah, motive yeah. is everything because you have the the cop-out mentalities. You have the, we haven't even mentioned this one yet, but this is the big one, the big victim mindset. Yeah. It's just, and the, as I mentioned earlier, you don't even know what the person's mad at it at some points. But with Jesus, it's always a purpose. There's always a reason. There's a motive. Mm-hmm. And the motive and the intent is to – the intent, again, we've talked about this so much through this, this discussion. The intention of righteous anger is always to deliver someone from damage, death, the wrath of the enemy, bondage. I mean, from from you know God taking them across the Red Sea and wiping out all of Pharaoh's army. What was that about? That's yeah. a God of anger defending His people, and and you you just see that throughout the scriptures. Well, we got one more example before we wrap up today, and it's the big one. Can I take five real quick? You can, but he'll be having to leave. Yeah, I'm having to. I'm having. I'm having to get out of here. Yeah. Because they're, I just need to come out just real quick. They're here, but they're on their way to school. And by the time you get done, mine will be here. Mm. And times are burning. Go ahead. Me and him will carry on, and you jump back in there whenever you can. There's, there's one more we need to talk about, and this is the one that everybody thinks of when they think about Jesus being angry. And of course, that is what the temple. Ah, the temple and the table tossing Jesus, <laughs> table flipping Jesus. <laughs> So John chapter 2, we find Jesus and an angry Jesus. In John chapter 2, and uh, it says that, I'll begin in verse 13, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when, now look at this, and when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. It's good to end on this one because I think it actually gives us examples of everything we've talked about. Right. Jesus did not go into Jerusalem with the intent of kicking over tables. But when he went into the temple, he saw unrighteous things being done. He saw really every point we've already made being done at the same time. The enemy was doing damage to the souls of people he loved. Um, He saw people who should know better but were acting like they didn't. And he saw the religiously self-righteous and who are making idols of man-made tradition. And then, of course, in this one specifically, What we have here is the religious types who have turned worship into a marketable product. Right. And Jesus said, that's enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And if if this were to happen today, or I could just imagine him doing this and people, hey, you need to calm down. What's wrong with you? Yeah. This is is church. You, You can't do that here. 
Why are you under control, man? Yeah, yeah, you need to calm down. But the disciples recognized this as a, a zeal for the house of God. Yeah. And... And I think the zeal for the house, not, it, it is directly, hey, he's in the temple, right. and that's big to, in, to the Jews. But I think you, you can also understand that, that in the economy of the church, we are the, the temple. We are the household of faith, and Jesus has a great zeal for that and to defend that. But I like that it says in verse 15, it points out that he made a scourge of small cords, which shows us that point, that this was not a gut reaction based on emotion. The emotion led Jesus to a thoughtful response. The response was to set down, to make this whip, and then to go in there premeditated. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's premeditated anger. Sounds like a Jesus thing, right? Right. And he goes in there on purpose and drives these people out, and he does it because you are not going to turn the faith of our Father into some product that you can make money off of. Right. So, <clears throat> you agree? I do agree. <laughs> and I like about the premeditated because that has got such a negative stigma. You know, well, if, if you have time to think about it, you have time to calm down about it. Well, that's not always true because no. sometimes thinking about it and calming down about it just suppresses it. So that the next time it builds up up and now you are reacting wrongly. Whereas you could have dealt with it because it was something that needed to be dealt with. And you could have done it in the right spirit because you suppressed it and you allowed it to calm down. Now you're dealing with it in the wrong way. Now you've lost all credibility of what you're actually angry about because now you're just a raging lunatic because you didn't handle it when it should have been handled. And I love that Jesus... He deals with it. And I'm sure there were a lot of people that were in the temple that day that was like, what is this guy's problem? Mm -hmm. He's handling this the whole way. But he knew in his heart of hearts, I'm right before God. I'm, I'm, I'm completely justified in what I'm doing. And then he made no apologies to do what needed to be done. It was right. a just cause. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as opposed to people like Peter and James and John, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and the whole lot of them, you know. Yeah. Uh, that 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 was they were learning. Yeah. They were learning by being with Jesus. And and here's the end of it all. The end of it all is you and I, all of us, we're going to learn how to respond to our emotions the right way by being with Jesus. And I think one other thing, if we notice the weapon of choice, Jesus took a whip or a scourge, more like a correctional teaching tool, not a sword. He didn't go in there lopping people's heads off and and he didn't use his fist yeah you know he didn't strike anybody right you know which is always a mark of anger yeah. the difference in like like james and john will call down fire from heaven heaven and burn them up well there's no way to learn a lesson from that yep <laughs> just kill them all let yeah. god sort them out yeah. yeah that would not be righteous anger right well you said in our undisclosed location over the weekend where you were preaching about having identity in christ mm -hmm. how identity has to come first and then community because if not, if you don't have that identity, community becomes your identity. And when we're angry, if we're not careful, we'll just mimic other people or act the way the culture tells us to act when we're angry. Mm -hmm. Versus with Jesus, it is a righteous anger. He has a purpose. 
And when we spend time with him and have our identity in him, when we do get this righteous anger, it's for a reason. And we don't, we're not mimicking the world. We're not acting a certain way or saying certain things. No, we're angry because deep down we believe that this is something that needs to be corrected and we need to fix it. Well, I think that this, uh, this has turned out to be a pretty, pretty helpful conversation. Yeah. A lot of important things have been highlighted, but we have to do what we always have to do. We have to take this and really begin to apply it, analyze our hearts, our, our actions, and what we're doing, and really just make sure that we're responding in the right way. When anger comes... Use it as a, as a means to step forward in a righteous cause and try to fix things, correct things, and, uh, and not just react from the gut and blow things up. Right. You might have to flip a few tables, but do it in the right way. You might have to whip some Pharisees. But do it in the right way. <laughs> well, hey, it's good to have Napoleon back, good to be back. Let's, let's, just, let's just leave on a high note. High note. Sing, can you sing something for no, us? No, no. All right, well, then just play the music. We'll leave it to the professionals. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning desire. To be the best you can be. Champion